Hello, and welcome to this podcast from Consider This. Please let me know what you think and tell others about us on social media. This podcast was originally broadcast live on Northumberland 89.7 FM. You can hear this show live every Friday at noon. Thank you for downloading this program, and I hope you enjoy it. Hello, I'm Robert Washburn, and welcome to Consider This Northumberland, a current affairs program dedicated to the issues facing our community. We talk to the people on the front lines and those behind the scenes who make a difference in your life in Northumberland County. So I'm asking you, the listener, to take some time out of your busy day to consider this. Back in 1923, a group of women got together to help the hospital in Coburg. They would roll bandages, sew tourniquets, and give assistance wherever needed. This was the early days of the hospital auxiliary. The role of the auxiliary would expand. It would fundraise, offer expanded services to support doctors and nurses. And over the years, it would continue to be a pillar within the organization to help deliver care. Now, 100 years later, the people volunteering continue to provide essential support. They are people at the front desk to direct visitors. They assist in various clinics, filling vending machines, wheeling patients to the door as they are leaving. The list goes on. Beyond that, it continues to be a major contributor to fundraising. Listen as three key people with the auxiliary share their knowledge and experience as the organization commemorates a century of service. I'm thrilled to have with me today, Laura McCracken Ebrill, chair of the planning committee for the 100th anniversary of the Northumberland Hills Hospital Auxiliary. I also have Selena Forsyth, President of the Northumberland Hills Hospital Auxiliary, and Jennifer Gillard, Vice President of Patient Experience, Public Affairs, and Partnerships. Welcome to Consider This Northumberland. Thanks, Rob. Thank you, Rob. Good to be here. First of all, I want to start by congratulating you on the 100th anniversary of the Northumberland Hills Hospital Auxiliary. What a fantastic thing. Now, let's begin with some basics before we get into the 100th anniversary. Many people may know the name Northumberland Hills Hospital Auxiliary, but I bet there are some people out there who really don't know what the Hospital Auxiliary is or what it does. So let's start with you, Selena. Can you tell us what is the Hospital Auxiliary and what does it do? Oh my goodness. Um, the Hospital Auxiliary, Actually, I've, I've been with the auxiliary for 20 years and it's changed considerably over those years. But essentially what we do is we um, do anything that's required uh, to be of assistance to anybody at the hospital, whether they be staff, whether they be physicians, whether they be patients, whether they be people walking in off the street. I mean, we the, the members of the auxiliary are the first pe people that anybody sees when they come in through the front door because we're on the front desk. We're on the help desk to show people where they have to go if they don't know where they're going. Um, but then we have people who are literally spending um, several hours in different departments. Um, and that's anywhere from chemotherapy to outpatients to the emergency department. Um, we're everywhere, we are everywhere. And so we are contributing um, our our time um, as, as to the hospital because it's a place that we love to be and that we think is very worthwhile um, volunteering for. So we're volunteers. 
We're there because we want to be. How many volunteers belong to the auxiliary? Uh, good question. Um, when I first joined, we had about 350, um, maybe a little more than that. But over the that's 20 years ago, remember. Um, but over the years, um, volunteers by definition are generally speaking up there in years. Um, we do have volunteers who are in their 40s and 50s, um, but most of them are over 70. And so over the years, um, people have gone for, for a variety of reasons, uh, retired or died or, or whatever. Um, and as you probably know, Rob, um, getting volunteers in just about any organization in this day and age is tough. It's, it seems, I mean, we even have a hard time getting volunteers from, from schools where it used to be, you know, candy stripers were everywhere. Um, so over the years we have reduced, we now have, I think about 250, Laura, am I right there? I think right. it's about 250 volunteers. Some of them are not active. They're on the list because they've been around forever. And so they still get all of the, um, the information that we send out. So we have about 250. We're always looking for new volunteers. And of course, COVID really, really decimated our numbers considerably for, first of all, for a long time. We had no volunteers at the hospital at all because we were obviously, for very good reasons, not allowed in. Um, and then some volunteers chose not to come back because they were afraid of being in that environment. However, Interestingly, over a period of time, many of those people who decided that they were afraid to come back have changed their minds and they they have started to come back. Um, we're also we've also been finding in the last while that I think in the last while we've um, we've had, I don't know about uh, I can't remember, Jennifer, is it 50 or 30 new volunteers over the last while? Um, Good memory. So Yep. In the last, since July, when you launched the campaign for recruitment, right. um, I believe we're just 50 or 51 expressions of interest uh, with the majority of those matched with um, volunteer opportunities. Right. I'd like to, I'd like to find out though, can you describe the, the types of people who volunteer? Maybe Laura, join us in the conversation. Can you describe the type of people who volunteer? Sure. I think uh, people who volunteer at the hospital want to give back to the community. Many of those people have had a good experience uh, at the hospital or their family has had a good experience and they want to give back. Uh, that's important. That's how my mother began in 1968. She appreciated the care that her mother received at a Montreal hospital and living in Coburg. She thought, how can I help? So she joined and uh, it's been a family legacy for me. Uh, we have the best volunteers in Northumberland County, bar none. Um, we have people who have volunteered on a continual basis for 52 years um, and continue to do so on a weekly basis. Uh, you, you just you can't you just can't match that anywhere else. Um, these are for intrinsic values. They they get joy from helping other people. And it's it's not just the volunteering with the patients and with their families. We also run two business um, enterprises. 
uh, a thrift shop, Petticoat Lane, and the little treasure shop, which is a, um, a gift shop within the hospital. Um, both really important endeavors and uh, both earn us a, a good deal of money to contribute to the hospital for equipment. If I can just jump in there, uh, we do have, Rob, a commitment to the hospital of um, we commit to um, somehow finding $170,000 a year that we will commit to the hospital. And not only do we, uh, except for a couple of the COVID years, not only have we always uh, found that 170,000, but we've actually exceeded it some years to 200,000. And as I think you know, over the 100 years, um, the number is about five and a half um, million dollars altogether that we've contributed. And in the last five years, we have actually um, contributed one million to a particular. Um, um, why don't I what 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 would what would you call it, uh, <laughs> Jennifer? It's CIS, which is the clinical information system that the hospital has developed and is continues to develop, which is very expensive. And and the volunteer organization um, week have contributed a um, million dollars to that to that um, to that cause. So you know, our our unlike many hospitals in Ontario and in Canada, I suspect, um, our our fundraising is huge compared to most. I mean, some volunteers don't do any fundraising. And so um, it's a big it's a big part of our organization of Petticoat Lane and the little treasure shop. The little treasure shop had its had its um, open house the other day and they raised, I think, close to five million dollars in the three. Uh, sorry, um, five thousand dollars in the three days. You guys have given me so much information in such a short period of time. I, I want to take some time and let's unpack this because there, there's just okay. so much in there that that uh, we should explain and so to help people really understand just the, the the breadth and the diversity of all the things that you do. So let's go back a little bit. And before we get into some of these better known activities, what would you say are some of the areas where you provide important services to people that they may not realize that you're there in the hospital? I, I'm wondering particular things like, I understand you help with the vending machines, diagnostic imaging. Let's start, Laura. What are some of these incredible programs that you work on that are not the usual thing, like the front desk and the emergency room, where people run into you all the time? Well, we provide, um, I guess you'd call it portering from um, surgical suites. So uh, no patient leaves our surgical suites without being taken directly to. Uh, their vehicle to be or to a vehicle to be picked up by family or friends and so that's a really great service they are able to chat with the patient on the way out of the hospital they're returned safely to whoever brought them um, I think it's a it's a comfort level it helps the staff enormously uh, we're on the floors we're chatting with patients we're filling water jugs we're um, we're in maternal child care. We're helping to register patients for mammography and ultrasound. We're—I I think the front desk is important. That's what—it's what I do. I do it on a weekly basis. We—we we are the the face of Northumberland Hills Hospital. We greet nervous patients. We direct 
uh, anxious family. Sometimes they're anxious because they're excited. They're going to meet their first grandchild. Or sometimes they're anxious because they're they're trying to find a merge where their spouse or their child has um, registered. Uh, sometimes they're going to visit a friend. Occasionally it's uh, flowers being delivered, a card being delivered. They don't know where they're going. They're anxious for a test for themselves. I, I can't dismiss that. I think it's a really important job that we do. And uh, I think we do it pretty well. And we get uh, lots of feedback at the front desk that we, we make people feel welcome and comfortable. And uh, hospitals are a scary place. Selena, there's a program that I saw called the Hospital Elder Life Program, HELP. Right. Could you tell us a bit about that and, and what the auxiliary does there? Oh, HELP is a wonderful program. It's a program where um, volunteers sit with elderly patients. Um, um, usually they're uh, people who have been in the hospital in restorative care um, for some time, and they help them maybe with um, eating their meals, or sometimes they sit and read to them, or sometimes they just sit and have conversations. I mean, these are volunteers who are more than happy to just sit and and be with an elderly person who perhaps doesn't have anybody in this world. Um, and so they become companions almost. It's an extraordinary program that was started, I think, four or five years ago, right, Jennifer? Um, it, 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 it just, it's amazing. And it does take a special volunteer. You know, you have to apply for that job. Well, you have to apply to be a volunteer anyway, but um, it takes a special kind of person. And generally, um, from what I understand from the people who, who run the program, the people who volunteer for it are always the right people because otherwise they don't volunteer for that program. Um, it's a wonderful program and it's really, really well uh, accepted and responded to by the staff at the hospital. Earlier, you talked about the importance of fundraising, and I know that that's a big part of the auxiliary's work. And over the past 100 years, as you said, you've raised more than $5 million. People might be aware of the little treasure shop. I know you alluded to it earlier, and Petticoat Lane, which are the two businesses you run. Laura, can you share with us what these are and give us a bit of the history of when they were created and what they do in the community? Uh, Petticoat Lane believe we opened in in the 60s. We've had five or six locations in that time. We we rely on the community to donate clothing, shoes, books, uh, kitchen items, jewelry, and we sell those those items. Well, we make sure that they're presentable, they're clean. We organize, we um we sell those at very modest prices. And we raise an incredible amount of money doing that. And all of that money, because everybody who volunteers at, uh, everybody who works at Petticoat Lane is a volunteer. We have no paid no paid staff. We never have. And uh, we raise an incredible amount of money and they have a lot of fun doing it. So if you're looking to uh, to donate some clothing that doesn't fit anymore or something, pots and pans or dishes in your home that you would like to repurpose, Please donate them to Petticoat Lane. They're always looking for uh, for donations. Um, the gift shop. Well, we've had a gift shop for many, many decades. We used to have a um, card as well. So not only would we sell uh, magazines and uh, 
chocolate bars and books and knickknacks and baby clothes. But we used to take them around on a cart so that every patient would have the opportunity to purchase as well. We haven't done that in the new facility. So that's only been 20 years, but that was a very popular program as well. And the gift shop is a it's not just wonderful for visitors who are coming to buy perhaps a gift to take to patient, but the staff, the staff are, are wonderful patrons of, uh, of the little treasure shop. And I like to think of myself as their best customer. In 2022, the auxiliary marked a milestone in fundraising when it announced that it hit a goal to raise a million dollars. And Selena, you talked about this a little bit earlier. I wonder if you could elaborate. Can you tell us the story behind this significant event and why it was so monumental? When I was vice president of the auxiliary, when you are vice president of the auxiliary, it puts you on the foundation board, or it did. I'm sorry, I should say it did. We changed the structure um, a couple of years ago, which I should get into in a, in a minute or two. Um, but um, I was on the foundation board and I heard about this fundraising thing that they were about to launch into, which was huge. And it involved this thing called the clinical information system, which was going to transform um, the way the hospital uh, worked um, on just about every level of, of you know, administration, uh, in terms of administration. Um, but also it, it, it was going to um, introduce a program whereby you and I could apply um, to get a, a involved so that we ourselves can go online and find out what the results of our tests were and all that kind of stuff. Anyway, it was called the clinical information system. It's, it's, it's brand name is Epic. And so when I heard about this on the foundation, I went back to the board um, of the auxiliary and said, this is what they're doing. I think we should start to um, contribute to that. And so what with the way we started was to give um, 250,000 of what, or, or sorry, twenty-five or fifty thousand dollars. I can't remember, actually. Uh, but we gave a percentage of our of our annual contribution and insisted that it went towards the CIS. And then what happened was that it started to look after a few years like we could do a million dollars if we really worked at it. And so that's what we did, and we actually made our million dollar mark this year. Um which was very exciting. Um, it was just very exciting. And so I can't, I can't, I mean, it sounds absurd that, that we would get excited about raising money, but, but you do. Um, so it's, um, it's, it's interesting. The, the other thing that um, has made a difference to us um, is that we, the board, for example, the, when when I first became on the, was on the board, we had a whole bunch of different um, designations. There was the president, the vice president. There was um, a director of fundraising. There was a director of PR and communications. There were director of all kinds of stuff. But one of the things that we decided on um, about five years ago, before COVID, actually, was that what we really needed was help. Um, we needed somebody who could help us um, um, recruit people, for example. We didn't have the, the staff. We didn't have the, uh, the people that were capable of doing it. And we didn't have the money to do the advertising. We didn't have any of that. And so we decided to create um, 
a committee, we called it the, the ARC, which was the Auxiliary Restructuring Committee. And what that involved was going to the hospital board and saying, we need help. Other hospitals in um, Ontario have a paid person who um, works with the auxiliary. They've, be, they've become sort of the directors of, of the auxiliary, uh, but they are paid by the hospital. Um, and at first they said, well, why don't you find somebody yourself and pay them? But we just don't have, didn't have that kind of money um, or certainly not the, the kind of money that we were prepared to pay somebody to do a job. Anyway, the short story is that um, eventually the hospital agreed. And so they did, in fact, a year ago, hire um, a pro Jennifer, what's her, what's her title? You have a manager of volunteers. Right. So we now have a paid manager of volunteers who sits on our board. Um, our board has changed so that we now have a president, a vice president. We also, um, I forgot to mention, hired a director of business services. So we have a director of business services who takes care of the running of Petticoat Lane and the little treasure shop. Um, and we have a director of, of um, finance, of course. And so um, it, it's a, a slightly different board, but we have this amazing help. And that that um, person that we've hired reports to Jennifer, um, who is um, amazing. <laughs> Jennifer has, is doing an amazing job um, uh, helping us through this. And, and that's one of the reasons why we have been able to recruit um, close to 50 new volunteers in the last while uh, because of this new approach that we've got as an auxiliary. I'd like to explore that a bit more because it, you've mentioned now the auxiliary and this recruitment a, a number of times. So let, let's dig into it because as you said earlier, more and more community organizations struggle to find volunteers. Yeah. So what is being done to make it more attractive to volunteer at the hospital? I mean, it's really a question of visibility and, and promotion, Rob. So uh, for many, many years, the auxiliary board had a designated role to support PR and communications. And Selena, I think if I'm not, if I may be incorrect, but I believe that was your role for many years. It was. And you PR and communications supported that on a volunteer basis with um, social media and all of the many channels that are out and about to promote services. There's lots of competition. And so the auxiliary didn't have the skill set within the volunteer ranks to establish and sustain that advertising function and to launch up a campaign. And so that was one area where they could lean on some of the supports that the hospital had and without creating any net new resources or costs we can support that work so they've been able to create a social media presence they've been able to launch a campaign to promote the opportunities and then to just shine a light on the types of volunteer opportunities that exist for folks of all ages selena mentioned that many are older or were older um, and so supporting promotion to local volunteers who might be students looking for opportunities in the medical or health profession um, is one of the tactics that um, we've used with good success to get some 
additional support from local high schools um, and launched a Facebook presence for them. Um, and Amy Seymour on the hospital team has been assisting that, working really closely with the auxiliary's volunteer manager to identify areas of opportunity and to uh, really zero in on the areas where more, more volunteers are needed. I'd like to step back for a moment now and, and get into the history of the auxiliary. I mean, 100 years is a heck of a long time. Laura, what can you tell us about the founding of the auxiliary? How did it happen? Who was involved? What was it originally doing? Well, in um, 1923, a small group of women uh, joined forces to help support the hospital. They did no fundraising at that time. They were sewing bandages, that type of thing. They were assisting as they could, but it was, there were limited opportunities for, for their role. Uh, it expanded over time. Uh, it grew. It grew exponentially. When I joined the auxiliary in 1989, we had 450 members, and we continued to have 450 members for a very long time. Um, programs changed and developed. We started uh, fundraising, I would say, in the 40s sometime, sometime in the 40s, I believe. And... Uh, and that changed everything too. We had a gift shop and then later Petticoat Lane. Uh, but we've also raised funds in other ways. You know, we held, held an annual uh, Christmas bazaar in the lobby of the, of the former Coburg Hospital. Um, we had Bridge Marathon that ran every uh, year, year long that went for decades and decades and raised funds. We had poinsettia teas. We had a polar bear dip. We, you know, we've tried all kinds of, fundraising endeavors, which were just singular events or, or, or long-term events. And um, now we're focusing predominantly on the two um, retail operations. But for 99 years, you know, we operated by ourselves. We, we recruited and we maintained and we supported each other. And we have just celebrated hundredth anniversary. It, it's an incredible thing. There are very few organizations in this country, I would imagine, who are celebrating a hundred years of giving to their hospital. Could you share your story of how you got involved? I could. Um, I got involved because my mother was involved. As I told you earlier, she, she began in 68. Uh, she was a later a president. Um, he was uh, teaching full time and volunteering and had three children at home. And so uh, occasionally when her shift on Monday evening at the gift shop, uh, she was supposed to be there and, and sometimes she couldn't get there. So I, as a young teen, would go and fill in for her in the days when every item was noted in a, um, a scribbler and, and the price. Uh, we sold cigarettes in the shop. It was, it was definitely a different time. Uh, later, as an adult, a young, fairly young adult, I joined in 1989 with uh, an infant and a toddler in tow. And uh, in those days, we used to decorate the, Chris, uh, the entire hospital for Christmas. We, uh, we worked on the admitting desk. We, we ran the gift shop. We had an incredible program on what we called the third floor, which was long-term care at the time. And that was daily. 
We ran social activities, musical activities, art activities. It was a very growing concern and uh, many, many volunteers were involved in that. I would venture to guess, uh, you know, up to a hundred would work at, uh, at keeping that program going. It was very, very successful and, and well-received. Um, uh, I'd like to ask you, do you have a memorable moment from working as a volunteer? Do you have a story or an individual that you'd like to share? Oh my goodness. Um, I'd be hard pressed to I'd be hard pressed to choose, but the one that jumps immediately to mind actually was um I worked for almost 10 years in Emerge. Um and some of the experiences there were absolutely extraordinary. Um the one that really jumps to mind was there was a huge um, car accident on the 401 and um, all of the, the people involved were brought to the hospital and the volunteer in Emerge was a high school student who planned on eventually being in the medical profession, which is how that works. You know, the students who are interested in a future in, in medicine uh, come and they mostly usually often want to work in Emerge. And this young woman worked in Emerge, and what she was dealing with was a French-Canadian family who spoke no English, and she spoke, she was taking French in high school, and she was doing extremely well. And that young woman, who was, I think, about 17, spent several hours after her shift was over in Emerge, dealing, talking to those people, explaining there was a very small child who was extremely badly hurt, who had been rushed into Emerge immediately. And and that young woman, I'm sorry, it's even difficult for me to tell the story. That young woman took care of that family and that's called volunteering. Mm -hmm. I'm sorry. No, not at all, not at all, thank you. I'd like to ask both of you this question. So I'll go back to Laura to start. You must see a lot of different things as, as Selena's just described, people in distress, suffering, and so on. How do you deal with this? We try to deal with it calmly and professionally, even though we aren't professionals, um, sensitively, um, sensitively. Um, we, we, we don't interfere, we listen. We answer questions. We let guide ask, people where they need to go. Let, let me ask you this then. There must be a flip side to this as well. There must be moments that are incredibly joyful where you see healing, people going home. What What do you experience when, when you see that, when volunteers see that? It's wonderful. One of, one of the nicest things that uh, happens at North Thurman Hills Hospital, after each baby is born, we play Brahms Lullaby throughout the hospital. And it's a moment where everybody stops, they pause, and it doesn't matter whether somebody's standing at the counter waiting to go to surgery. And they often say to me, what's that? I said, a baby was just born. And then everybody just smiles. You stop, you pause, you think a new life. Isn't that, isn't that wonderful? And so every time I'm on that desk, it doesn't happen every time, but every time it does, it's a lovely moment, and it's and it's nice to explain that to people coming through the front door. Selena, did doing this kind of volunteering open your eyes or change your view of the world? Um, that's a very difficult question because I've been doing it for such a long time. Um, 
it's um, I think it changes my view of the world on a daily basis because, you know, something will, something inevitably happens every time that you do a shift that will open your eyes to something that you were not aware of, you know, whether it's a person who's in distress, whether it's a person who's uh, become elated over like, you know, having a, like I've seen dads who have been jumping up and down the hall because their baby was just born, you know, and it, and it just changes your whole, um, it changes your day. It doesn't necessarily change your life, but it changes your day. Um, and that kind of thing happens all the time. So there's sometimes there's a downsides, but there's a massive number of upsides, you know, like and and for example, if you've if you've worked in restorative care for a long time or um, even in palliative care, I've have worked in palliative care where a patient has been allowed to go home for a while because, the, you know, their palliative situation hasn't changed, but they don't need to be there for uh, for you know so they go home for a while i mean that's an extraordinary thing to experience is having watched somebody you know be in that in that situation and be allowed to go home for even if it's only for another month or so so it's just every day is different every day is a learning experience and every day changes your life laura would would you say it's a transformative experience oh absolutely uh every single shift <laughs> Every opportunity to volunteer provides another chance to see the good in people, uh, the good in the staff, the good in the, the volunteers, the visitors, patients. It's um, it's hard to describe. It really is. Selena, as more and more aspects of healthcare get professionalized and healthcare continues to change, is there a role for the auxiliary going into the future? Oh, absolutely. Are you kidding me? <laughs> I think as healthcare changes, the the uh, the role for the auxilian will become even more so uh, because you know healthcare is getting more complicated as the days go by, and so it's um, yes. I mean, our needs at the hospital. Um, you know, we have one of the better hospitals that I can you know think of. Uh, in fact, the Governor General, in her in her notes to to our hundredth anniversary, said remarkable things about this hospital. Laura actually could could quote for you. Um, go ahead, Laura. Please quote. Yeah, the Honorable uh, the Her Excellency the Governor General, on the occasion of our hundredth anniversary, said, "I'm pleased to send greetings to everyone celebrating the hundredth anniversary of the Northumberland Hills Hospital Auxiliary." Since the Ladies Auxiliary held their inaugural meeting in 1923, the NHH Auxiliary has grown into one of the most active hospital auxiliaries in the province today. Throughout its history, its members have upheld a spirit of community, investing their time, energy, and kindness to support patients, their families, and hospital staff. In recent years, the medical community has been at the forefront of the battle against the COVID-19 pandemic. I would like to take the opportunity to thank the NHH Auxiliary for its role in providing care, comfort, and healing to their fellow citizens during these uncertain times. Your commitment to helping others and to providing exceptional care is a source of inspiration. Congratulations to everyone involved in reaching this important milestone. And that is from Mary Simon, Governor General of Canada. 
Do you think the auxiliary will be around in another hundred years? I hope so. I can't imagine it won't be. Um, and to keep that in mind, I'd like to be, to tell you how to join, if, if you'd like to join. <laughs> is this the part where you do the commercial message, Selena? Yeah, this is the part where I say, okay, okay, if you'd like to become a member of the auxiliary at Northumberland Hills Hospital, and you will be greeted warmly. Um, but what you have to do, first of all, is get the application form which is either from the front desk at the hospital, or you can get it from Petticoat Lane, or you could call the office and I will give you the number, which is 905-372-6811, extension 4630. Leave your name and number and somebody will be in touch with you. And then you come for a meeting, then you get a tour of the hospital, and then you um, are literally then you have to think about which department you want to work in and some people come with with a preconceived notion of i want to work in emerge or i want to work on the front desk or i want to work in petticoat lane but you know once they've done the whole tour and gone through the entire hospital and found out what the different jobs are um often they change their mind and so that's the, the that's the experience fill out the form send it in come for the interview and then you'll go from there. And let me tell you, believe me, whoever is listening to this, you will have a wonderful time. It may sound absurd. It may sound ridiculous to say that you're going to have a wonderful time working as a, as a volunteer in a hospital. But trust me, you will have a wonderful time. Laura McCracken, Ebrel, Selena Forsyth, Jennifer Gillard, thank you very much for talking to me today. Thank you, Robert. Thank you for your interest. Been a pleasure. That was Laura McCracken Ebrell, Chair for the Planning Committee for the 100th Anniversary, Selena Forsyth, President of the Northumberland Hills Hospital Auxiliary, and Jennifer Gillard, Vice President of Patient Experience, Public Affairs, and Partnerships. I want to thank my guests this week for talking to me, and I want to thank all the listeners for tuning in today. Please join me again next week when we will talk to the people on the front lines and those behind the scenes who make a difference in your life and Northumberland County. So please tune in. If you would like to listen or share this or any podcast, please check out my website at consider-this.ca. There you will find past podcasts, news, and other information about life and politics in Northumberland County. Or you can go to the radio station's website at northumberland897.ca. I'm Robert Washburn. Thanks for taking time out of your day to listen in, and I hope over the week you will continue to consider this. Thank you for listening to this podcast from Consider This. If you have any comments or would like to suggest a story, please contact me at considerthisnorthumberland at gmail.com or you can message me on Facebook at Consider This. If you enjoyed this podcast or are looking for more news and information about Northumberland County, please check out my website at consider-this.ca. That's consider-this.ca. And don't forget to share. And again, thank you for listening and stay tuned for more from Consider This.